1843, Charles Dickens had two things going on in his life. The first was debt, crushing debt in part. His financial troubles were the talk of London society. After rising to critical acclaim in financial heights with works such as Oliver Twist, Nicholas Nickleby, The Old Curiosity Shop, and Barnaby Ridge, Dickens was viewed as the most successful English novelist of his time. He followed those works with a trip to the United States, where he traveled to places like Boston, Richmond, St. Louis, Niagara Falls, even Lowell, Massachusetts, and more. That led to his American Notes for General Circulation, which was published in 1842. That serial work, unlike his previous serial novels, was not received well at all, particularly in the United States. The work was rather critical of America and Americans, and it led to that reception. James Gordon Bennett of the New York Herald said of it that, quote, of all the travelers that ever visited this land, Dickens appears to have been the most flimsy, the most childish, the most trashy, the most contemptible. He has neither common grammar, sense, arrangement, nor generalization, close quote. And that was perhaps one of the better reviews. Needless to say, American Notes did not reap the kind of financial success of his previous works. Add into the mountain problem of debt was the fact that his next endeavor, Martin Chuzzlewit, was also a failure. The work never caught on in England, and in an attempt to try and inject some life and perhaps some much-needed money into the serial novel, Dickens sent the main character to, to the United States in Chapter 16, a mid-work reboot, if you will, given how novels were published, published in serial form during this day. But the Americans, perhaps still smarting over American notes, ignored the work. Dickens was in trouble. So much so that his publishing house suggested that £50 be deducted from the author's monthly £200 stipend to be applied to Dickens's mountain debts with Chapman and Hall, his publishing company. Dickens was furious. He wrote to a friend in 1843, I am so irritated, Dickens wrote, so rubbed in the tenderest parts of the eyelids with basalt by what I told you yesterday, that the wrong kind of fire is burning in my head, and I don't think I can write any more of Martin Chuzzlewit. A printer is better than a bookseller. But as I mentioned, he also had an idea. An idea of a ghost story based loosely on the story of the goblins who stole a sexton. In that tale, a grave digger had nothing else to do on Christmas Eve but dig a grave and indulge in a bottle of hard spirits. Bent on reforming the old man, a band of goblins appeared to him and, and showed him panoramas of Christmas being celebrated by those around the grave digger's life. The grave digger converted upon the next morning, to a new and sober life. That idea, of course, was for what would be called a Christmas carol in prose. Longtime listeners to the show know of my affinity for Dickens and for his work at Christmas Carol. So it is that spirit that I present the New England Patriots in prose.
Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 158 of The Sco Show. And as you heard in that cold open, this episode is going to be a little bit different. It's not your typical post-game episode. We're doing things a little bit different this Monday morning. Inspired by Dickens, inspired by A Christmas Carol, we are going to present the New England Patriots in prose. The story of Patriots past, story of Patriots present, and the story of Patriots yet to come. And I do think it is important that we start here. Brady was gone to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The transaction was noted by the league. Bill Belichick commented on it, and Belichick's name was good upon anything he chose to put his name to. Brady was as gone as gone could be. This must be distinctly understood. Now, of course, that is a bit of a riff on how Dickens opens A Christmas Carol. Speaking of Ebenezer Scrooge's former business partner, Jacob Marley, and how Marley was dead to begin with. But as we begin to talk about the ghosts of Patriots past, I think it is important to set aside the Brady question. Because as many of you have asked me throughout this season, and in particular in the wake of Thursday night's loss, a lot of people are going to point at the decision to let Tom Brady go as the ghost of New England's past, the ghost that will perhaps haunt them, regardless of how this season, next season, and the next years to come pan out. But I think it's important to set that aside because that is a deeper question for a deeper time. And beyond that, we have to acknowledge that Brady might not have wanted to come back. And because of that, We have to look elsewhere. We have to look at other decisions that have led to this moment. This moment that we will talk about in a moment with the ghosts of Patriots present. And I think the one to focus on is one we've talked about before, one we've addressed many times before, and one that was brought into stark light for all of the football world to see during Thursday night's telecast. Because during Thursday night's broadcast, the Fox broadcast team put up a graphic highlighting the Patriots wide receivers drafted since 2010. Taylor Price, Jeremy Ebert, Aaron Dobson, Josh Boyce, Jeremy Gallon, Malcolm Mitchell, Devin Lucian, Braxton Berrios, Nikhil Harry. Of those, only Berrios and Harry are even still in the league. And now that's since 2010, but you can go back beyond that. Brandon Tate, 2009. And yes, 2009 at the end of that draft, they got Julian Edelman in the seventh round. 2008, they got Matthew Slater in the fifth round. And then you got Chad Jackson in the second round of 2006. P.K. Sam, 5th round, 2004. Bethel Johnson, 2nd round, 2003. The Patriots have missed at the wide receiver position more often than than they've hit. Period, full stop. And of course, exacerbating the problem is the fact that one of the players that they perhaps passed on when they drafted Nikhil Harry 
was DK Metcalf. But there are other examples of guys that they missed on and they could have done something completely differently and they didn't. And that is perhaps the ghost of Patriots past that will haunt them the most for years to come. And now you saw two plays from Nikhil Harry on Thursday night, the contested catch along the sideline, the dig route over the middle, where he flashed something. But I think the Patriots, and I've said this before, and it's time to reiterate it, they have a problem with how they evaluate the boundary receiver position. And I don't know why, but I think if you look at Nikhil Harry, how is perhaps a focus. Nikhil Harry was a contested catch, 50-50 ball winner type of guy in college. And I think the problem is if you are relying on somebody to do that at the college level to then translate that to the NFL level, two problems arise. One, if a guy cannot separate in college, how is he going to separate in the National Football League? If you're in a position where your strength relies on you not getting separation, that might be a negative and not a positive. And the other issue is this. You're going to face bigger, tougher, faster, more physical athletes in the National Football League. And so the guy that's winning 50-50 balls in the Pac-12, those are now 20-80 balls in the NFL. Not the easy way. Not the good way. The hard 80-20. But the struggles at evaluating the outside boundary receiver is the biggest ghost of Patriots past in my mind right now. Again, we are putting Tom Brady to the side. And there are certainly other things that have doomed them this season. Opt-outs, COVID, signing cam late, struggles on the offensive line, all of that stuff. But perhaps more than anything else is that wide receiver issue that troubles me. Especially if you think they might look at wide receiver again. Especially if you think, like I do, they need to figure out wide receiver, whether via free agency or the draft. They need to figure it out. Are they going to do it right? So that's the ghost of Patriots past. The ghost of Patriots present is this. This is a team that's not going to make the playoffs. We had a little glimmer of hope. We had a great, complete win. Over the Chargers, 45 to nothing. We had dreams of a playoff berth, but they're not going to come to fruition. You know, I think if you sort of look around the NFL right now, you look at the schedule that the Patriots have to play, you don't see a scenario wherein they get into the postseason. The odds are long. The odds are very long. They would have to run the table and get some help. And do you think that the Patriots are going to beat? I mean, you could even say, do you think they're going to beat the Jets right now? Probably. But you've got the Bills. And you've got this upcoming Sunday game at Miami, New England's House of Horrors. That late year trip down to Miami to play the Dolphins that 
has burned them so many times in the past. That could be the one that officially knocks them out of the postseason. But if not, then probably the next week against Buffalo. And look, they'd still have to get help to do get into the postseason. And they ran into a buzzsaw Thursday night. They ran into a team that is creative in how they create extra gaps in the run game. The Patriots couldn't stop the run because many times they were outflanked. Sean McVay has been showing everybody jet motion and teams were ignoring it and playing quarters coverages. And he's like, okay, well, if you're not going to pay attention to it, I am going to run that way. And oh yeah, I'm going to follow a jet motion receiver with a slice block from a tight end or another slice block from another receiver. And now instead of defending four gaps, you've got to defend eight. And if you're not going to trail that motion, you are completely outflanked. And they're also an extremely good defense. And as we have seen so many times this year, the margin for error is so small. When first and 10 becomes first and 15 due to a false start, you feel like the drive is over. When first and 10 becomes first and 20, thanks to a holding penalty, you feel like the drive is over. When first and 10 becomes second and 19 due to a sack, you feel like the drive is over. And that's where this football team is right now. And the margin for error is so small and so slim, it impacts on the defensive side of the ball too. Because if you can't get a stop, if you can't get a turnover, if you can't hold them to three, if you can't keep them out of the end zone, it feels like the game has slipped away already. And we've had ups and downs this year. We've had wild reactions and we thought it was fun for a while and it certainly was, but now it's time to face reality. Because dawn is coming. And that dawn is coming a little bit after we get visited by the ghost of Patriots yet to come. That's going to be ahead here in episode 158 of The Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 158 of The Sco Show. And given the different format, I kind of dispensed with a lot of the formalities we usually go through, so I'll hit them here. Please do a follow along uh, with the hijinks on the Bird app at Mark Schofield. Check out the work Mark, Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio not one, not two, but three SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, right here at Pat's Pulpit. And of course, USA Today's Touchdown Wire. Um, at some point in the next week or so, I've been cooking a little something up on philosophical thoughts about the quarterback position. Probably look for that later this week on Touchdown Wire. I'm also working on uh, top play callers from the offensive side of the ball. I also put together... Uh, general, I mean, excuse me, head coaches that are in the coach of the year mix. And I did sort of include Bill Belichick in that. You can check that out um, over at touchdownwireusatoday.com. Now it's time for the darkest part of the story, the ghost of Patriots yet to come. Obviously in the work itself, it's the darkest part of the tale in the various adaptations of A Christmas Carol, whether it's you know, George C. Scott, Muppets Christmas Carol, whatever, even Scrooged. This is the darkest part of the story. It's it's the story nobody wants to see. It's the story Scrooge doesn't want to see. He doesn't want to see his future. And right now, facing an uncertain future in the New England Patriots organization, we probably don't want to talk about it. We don't want to imagine what the future could hold. Because this year, as Patriots fans, we were treated to something we haven't felt in 20 years. Hopelessness. Whether it was after that 49ers game or after the Rams game on Thursday night, bleeding into this Monday morning, that feeling that, look, 
It's not our year. And it's not something we're used to feeling, but this is how the rest of the league feels for the most part. It's the cold reality of the fact that one at the end of the year, one team is left standing and 31 others are left dreaming. And this year, it hit us a bit sooner than we'd like. But now we have to look at what the ghosts of Patriots' future might be. And of course, it starts with the quarterback position. I can't log on to Twitter, check my email, check my voicemail, check my DMs, walk down the street without somebody asking me what the future entails as a quarterback for the New England Patriots. Family Zooms, trips to the grocery store. I get asked it all the time. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds at the quarterback position. I don't. I can tell you that I do think this. I think that Cam Newton has earned a chance to be the starting quarterback for the 2021 season. And a lot of people hearing that are probably like, no. No, absolutely not. I hate it. I hate you. Go stub your toe on the nightstand when you have to wake up in the middle of the night to check on the kids or the cat or something. And I get it. The passing game hasn't been great. In fact, it's been downright awful at times. And for many, hearing the fact that Cam Newton could be the week one starter for this team is the scariest tale of all. But I think he's earned that shot for a couple of reasons. One, look around. Is there an option on this organization right now that is better? Some may say Jared Jared Stidham. Maybe. But I'm not so sure we've seen anything that would indicate that that is, in fact, the case. And I know a lot has been made in the past week or so about Stidham has been practicing with the, the you know, scout team and they haven't got a chance to evaluate him. If Stidham's practicing with the scout team, what does that tell you? I think it tells us something in and of itself. So I think internally, he's probably the best option. Now, are there free agents out there? Sure. Would Dak Prescott be interested? Absolutely. There are other names, of course. Jacoby Brissett. There are other names that this team might want to look at. There are the trade options or opportunities or potential moves. I'll say this. I'm not going to go down the Carson Wentz road until I have to. I'll just say that. As somebody that hosts an Eagles podcast, I'm not going down that road until I'm told that the deal is done. And that's all I'll say about that. And then, of course, there's the draft. And I would love nothing more as somebody that spends his time studying quarterbacks to look at the quarterback draft class and say, okay, well, we've got a guy and we're going to go get him. A, I don't know if that guy is existing in this draft class in an area where the Patriots could get him. There are intriguing options, to be sure. Zach Wilson's intriguing. I don't think he's going to be on the board when the Patriots get to pick. Kyle Trask has had some moments, but I'm not so sure that we want to go down that road. At least not yet. I'd have to see a lot more from him on film, and I don't know if we're going to. Mac Jones is intriguing, but I'm not sold yet. Desmond Riddler, others, I understand that there's some excitement about later round guys, but I'm not quite sure that for 2021 there's an answer in this draft class that is better than Cam Newton, absent the guys at the top. Lawrence, Fields, and even Trey Lance. 
and even Trey Lance and Fields, I might be still in that situation more inclined to side with Cam Newton in week one. But I think the way that the Patriots have to approach it is this. Newton is your plan A, but there's a got to be a plan A.1 that is better than what we have this year. Whether that's somehow Jared Stinham or some other option, they have to have that in place, ready to roll out at halftime of week one if necessary. Because I think, given everything that this year has presented, Cam's earned a shot to prove that he can win and keep this job. But the hook's got to be quick. So that's the quarterback position. We've referenced the wide receiver position. In addition to that, I have to address the tight end position. And I know, look, you've just drafted two rookies. That's great. Maybe they'll contribute. Okay. Kyle Pitts, the kid from Florida. I'm going to speak that into existence just to get my heart crushed when the Patriots don't do it. But for a team and for an offense that prides itself on creating and winning matchups, there's your guy. Because I see somebody that can win from an inline alignment, from a slot alignment, from a boundary receiver alignment. You can put him anywhere. He's big, he's fast, he's athletic, got a huge catch radius. And he can separate against corners better than some of the guys on the Patriots roster right now. And so I think you have to address receiver, you have to address tight end, and you have to address quarterback, generally speaking. Will that be enough? Probably not. But on the defensive side of the ball, you're getting Patrick Chun and Dante Hightower back which I think are two huge parts to the puzzle. Now, I don't know what they'll be like having taken a year off from action, but I think those players returning has a trickle-down effect on this defense that will be huge for it going forward. Huge. Because you can do things now with Chase Winovich and Josh Uche moving them around with Hightower and Bentley in the middle of that. You can pick your spots a little bit better with how you're going to use Kyle Duggar with Patrick Chun back. And so I think just those two guys coming back will be huge. But obviously the biggest questions, the most daunting and perhaps terrifying ghosts of Patriots' future are on the offensive side of the ball. Quarterback, wide receiver, tight end. I think outside of those positions, it's a pretty good offense. But listen to that sentence. Again, outside of quarterback, wide receiver, and tight end, the offense is pretty good. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? And so that's the future that's potentially staring at us. Can they fix it? Absolutely. Now the questions become, will they get it right? A couple of weeks ago, I wrote over at Touchdown Wire about NFL general managers on the hot seat. And similar to that coach of the year discussion, when I folded Belichick into it, I folded Belichick into that as well. Because greatest head coach of all time, questionable decision-making as a general manager. 
Now, they give themselves themselves as an organization so many cracks at the apple that he might miss just as many times, if not more, than others in the league. But they also get a lot right. You don't win six Super Bowl titles without getting some stuff right. You know, you look at some of the smaller acquisitions, the under-the-radar acquisitions, you know, guys like Van Noy, you know, get an effort next to nothing from Detroit, and he was a huge part of a defense. You know, the trade for Randy Moss, it's hard to miss on the evaluation of Randy Moss, but you still had to get it right. You still had to get the fit right and the personality fit right, and they did that. Corey Dillon, some of the other acquisitions they've made. So many other, like, under-the-radar signings. Wes Welker traded for him and then turning him into the game's premier slot receiver for a number of seasons. Like, they made a lot of moves that they got right. But as we have learned this season, even though we put him to the side, Tom Brady papered over all manners of sin. And we learned that, too. And ultimately, maybe that's the ghost the Patriots past will just never get away from now. Until then, though, we just keep on hoping, like the other 31 fan bases, because it's a new world for us now, but we'll get through it together. So friends, a little something different today. Um, hope you enjoyed it. If not, I'm sorry. I tried. Tried something different. Um, I will be back later this week. We will get ready for the Dolphins. We'll talk about the Dolphins. We'll talk about Tua. We'll talk about Brian Flores, zero blitz looks, cover three looks, does all sorts of crazy cool stuff. They obviously got out to a great start against Kansas City, but as we all know, you got to stop Patrick Mahomes for 60 minutes, not 30, not 40, not 45, not 50, not 58. And do it for the full 60. They didn't do it. Came close, but that's a good Dolphins team. Um, they're going to pre- present some problems. And of course, Miami, December, somewhat of a house of horrors. So we know how that can go. But I will be back later this week to talk about that. Until then, friends, stay safe. Chicken on your loved ones. Wash those hands. And when you do, sin along and bless those Patriots reigns down in Foxborough.